Welcome to Grid Talk, a series of conversations with the leaders and innovators shaping the 21st century grid. Hosting the podcast is Marty Rosenberg, an award-winning energy journalist. The series is sponsored by the Department of Energy's Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Now, here's Marty Rosenberg with Grid Talk. Hi, and welcome to Grid Talk. Today we have with us Minister Todd Smith, Energy Minister of Ontario, Canada. Um, and he's here to talk about some amazing technology innovations north of the border that there'll be a lot of interest in in the United States. Hi, Minister Smith. How are you? Hi, Marty. Great to join you and your Grid Talk listeners today. Great. So let's jump right in. Um, there is nowhere in the what we'll call the free world today that really is deployed smart modular reactors. Uh, China and Russia, I think, have dabbled in it. You may know where it's surfaced more than I. But why is Ontario going there? And what do you think the rest of the world needs to pay attention to? Yeah, we've been out uh, talking a lot about the small modular reactor project uh, that's currently underway. Construction uh, and site preparation is underway at the Darlington nuclear site, uh, which is an Ontario power generation site uh, just outside Toronto on Lake Ontario. So about uh, 45 minutes to an hour outside of uh, the GTA, the greater Toronto area, as we call it. Uh, somebody had the foresight back in the 90s at Ontario Power Generation to get the regulator's approval for a new build. Uh, that would be the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission and uh, get all of the environmental assessments done for a new build. And at the time, uh, there was the thinking that we might continue to add large can-do reactors at the site. Uh, we do have uh, CANDU reactors operating there now, which is a Canadian-made large nuclear reactor. Um, you know, there are uh, four reactors on that site. They're about 850 megawatts each. Uh, then uh, as we explored where nuclear was going, we said this would be a great opportunity uh, to look at small modular reactors. And there was a process that was undertaken by OPG, Ontario Power Generation, um, and a lot of different criteria was measured over a number of uh, months, over a year actually, and uh, the number of technologies was whittled down to a handful, and then by the end, uh, we felt very comfortable in moving forward with the technology we've chosen, which is a 300-megawatt boiling water reactor uh, from GE Itachi. So we're partnering with U.S. technologies on this and other U.S. and uh, international uh, partners to develop the first of a kind SMR small modular reactor here in Ontario. So there's a lot to to dive into there, but before we do, I'd like to set the stage and make sure our audience fully understands a few things. One is talk to us about the provincial ownership of the energy assets. You under I understand you own the generation and you have a mixed bag of public and private ownership. Yeah, it's a, a unique a unique grid. Uh, it's a unique setup. Um, Ontario Power Generation is a, a crown corporation. We are the shareholder of the Ontario government and the people of Ontario own Ontario Power Generation. They operate two large nuclear facilities, uh, Pickering Nuclear, Darlington Nuclear. They operate uh, large hydroelectric facilities across the province uh, from Niagara Falls in southwestern Ontario to many run of river 
hydroelectric facilities in the north. They operate some natural gas facilities as well. So uh, they provide about 50% of the province's power from the various generators that we have with Ontario Power Generation. But we also have a very active market um, and there are companies bidding in and other jurisdictions bidding into our market all of the time, which is run through our independent electricity system operator. And then the other big provider of electricity that we have in Ontario is actually the largest operating nuclear facility in the world. And that's on the uh, western side of our province on Lake Huron. It's called Bruce Power. Uh, they're pumping about uh, 6,700 megawatts out of that facility every day. So it's uh, it's a big provider of electricity for our province too. About well, 30% comes from that facility. So we're doing something fairly unique here in our fourth year of the podcast. You are being tandem presented with Sandra Dykeshorn at OPG we talked to last week. And she said, when I told her you were going to be on, ask him about the fact that Ontario has to double its grid in the near future. Talk to us about energy demand as you see growing, and then we'll jump right into the nuclear solution. Sure. We're, we're a very fast-growing uh, jurisdiction here in Ontario. There's been a lot of uh, foreign direct investment, uh, particularly in the electric vehicle platforms. Uh, we're very fortunate in Ontario to have five major automakers that are building cars and trucks here in Ontario, and almost all of them have now made commitments to build electric vehicles here in Ontario. As a result of that, we have three massive EV battery plant uh, investments as well uh, spread across the province that are going to be providing the batteries and big energy users. Uh, we have uh, a couple of steel making facilities in our province uh, that are moving away from coal fired production of steel to electric arc furnaces. Uh, when you consider the three electric vehicle battery plants and the two electric arc furnaces for green steel making, uh, that's going to increase our industrial load alone, just those five projects, by upwards of 21%. Uh, so we are experiencing uh, some pretty serious growth here, not to mention population growth. Uh, we're anticipating another 5 million people to move into Ontario in the next 10 years. Um, you know, we've got about 16 million people here in Ontario now, so we'll be upwards of 20 million people by the end of the decade. Uh, that's going to require a lot of electricity as well. And so we asked the system operator to do a report on what it would take not only to power the investments that we're seeing, but to also um, decarbonize the system. And uh, it would be almost three times uh, the number of electricity generation that we now have and nuclear being the backbone of our system. And that's what we're looking forward to uh, building out as, as we say, because uh, we're limited in how much hydroelectric uh, we can, we can add, although there is some opportunity nuclear really is the answer to meeting our baseload needs. So, so conventionally around the world, there's a consensus growing as much solar as much, as much wind as possible let's bring on energy storage, but nuclear has a big load to shoulder. Um, the last piece of the nuclear puzzle I'd like you to talk about is you've mentioned the four Darlington reactors. They're in the middle of a $12.8 billion restoration. Talk about how, the extended life that's going to offer. And then to jump into our core topic here, why has there been a decision to go with smaller units as opposed to stay with the big behemoths? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, let me start by talking about the refurbishments, as we call them, that are underway um, at the uh, Darlington reactors. And the same process is underway right now, Marty, at uh, Bruce Power as well with the Candu reactors that we have there. Really happy to say that, um, you know, the $12.8 billion refurbishment project at Darlington, uh, because of the sharing of information between Bruce and OPG, keeping in mind they're somewhat competitors, uh, but all wanting the nuclear uh, sector to succeed and grow, uh, they've been sharing information on best practices. Uh, they've been fully planning out, designing and engineering the refurbishments in advance, and therefore they've been able to bring in these multi-billion dollar infrastructure projects ahead of schedule and on budget. And I don't know about you, but you don't hear a lot about infrastructure projects coming in ahead of schedule and uh, on budget, but we've been seeing that in the nuclear sector in Ontario, which is policymakers here as, as government gives us you know, a lot of comfort in moving forward with uh, refurbishing, and we're going to be refurbishing uh, the Pickering Nuclear uh, Generating Station as well. That's a very fresh announcement uh, here in Ontario, uh, and uh, we're moving forward on that refurbishment. So, so we, we see the opportunity to um, take advantage of the expertise that we have as a Tier 1 nuclear operator uh, to bring in future projects ahead of schedule and on budget and uh, at the same time, you mentioned, Marty, you know, building out uh, our grid with wind and solar and battery storage. We're also doing that here in Ontario. We're fortunate to have a very diverse supply mix in this province. And so we've got the largest procurement of battery storage underway right now to better utilize the intermittent uh, non-emitting resources that we have in the renewable sector as well. To answer your question about small modular reactors, why did we decide to go there? We believe um, in conversation with numerous partners uh, that we've talked to around the world uh, that this is actually the technology that will fit best into their uh, unique circumstances as well. For instance, one of the partners on our small modular reactor project is Poland and a company called Synthos Green Energy out of Poland uh, Poland is using more coal in many jurisdictions around the world and has very polluted uh, skies and, and air quality. Uh, they want to eliminate coal-fired generation, and they have these coal plants strategically located across their country. And the beauty of a 300-megawatt reactor is you can place it next to that coal plant that's operating now. The transmission already exists. It's there. You can shut down your coal plant one day, flip the switch, and fire up the... Uh, small modular reactor, which is not emitting the next day and uh, and not have to worry about building out infrastructure and using brownfield properties. So they're far more flexible and, uh, and we're going to be building out large too, but we're building out small and large here in Ontario. So uh, talk a, a little bit about um, the cost and the business proposition. Uh, here in the United States, we had the Vodal plant in, in the Southeast brought on by Southern Power Southern Company, and, and uh, they had cost overruns and delays. Do you think the smaller technology will get away from that? Certainly the, the smaller bite in terms of capital outlay up front makes them more appealing. Mm -hmm. um, do you just think the large plants are not going to be as popular going forward? No, I think uh, there's going to be uh, room for large plants 
and small plants. Mm -hmm. Um, I was down at Vogel just last week, actually, uh, with the folks from Westinghouse Nuclear and and Southern uh, Power. Saw them in action on uh, the Vogel plant that's currently operating and uh, the new one that's about to begin operation in March. There's been a lot of lessons learned, as there are with any nuclear project. and, and I believe, you know, at Bruce, uh, for instance, we're talking about adding almost an additional five gigs at that site. And I suspect that most of that five gigs that uh, Bruce Power is looking to add uh, will be large nuclear. They are also exploring the idea of having a mix of, of large and small on that site. Uh, but at Darlington right now, we're looking at building not just one small modular reactor there, but four SMRs on that site. Uh, making it 1.2 gigawatts of of new generation there to be added to the grid that's baseload reliable power that we can count on, enough power for uh, 1.2 million homes, Mm -hmm. uh, which we intend to build because of all of the population increase that we've been seeing here. So there's room for big and small nuclear, and I think uh, different jurisdictions around the world will have a choice as to what technology works best in their given circumstances. But certainly the SMRs are scalable. Um, I think what we've learned here in Ontario, that the key to success on all of these projects and avoiding the cost overruns like you saw at Vogel was don't start building until your design work is done. Uh, The folks at OPG at Ontario Power Generation would tell you that. Um, That's why we're, we're doing all of the work up front to ensure that on refurbishments, we're doing the scoping, we're doing the engineering, we're doing the design work up front before we actually start turning tools and uh, and putting shovels in the ground. And we're taking that same approach to the SMR project, get the design done, you know, have the estimate as accurate as possible before you actually start the work. And because it's the delays from not being well prepared and planning the project that are costing you the money at the end of the day. So, so um, talk a little bit about the unique situation in Ontario. What you're talking about is get the design work up front, get the regulatory approvals uh, streamlined. The U.S. tried to do that. They've spent the last decade to try to get the NRC to standardize designs, approve them, to, to try to avoid the red tape, the over, cost overruns, the change in, of designs once the project is underway that characterized the industry in the 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, earlier on. Um, you have been a member of the parliament in the province for about a dozen years. You call yourself progressive conservative. You've got a system up there that it kind of is like a, Americans would be familiar with TVA and Bonneville, where there's public ownership of the asset, or at least to a large extent. Um, is it a more harmonious system than in the United States, where it's much more adversarial to get things approved, designed. Um, Do you think you've got a winning way in Ontario that other jurisdictions in the United States may want to look at? Yeah, I I think so. And I've had the opportunity over the last number of years to to get to know Jeff Lyash uh, from Tennessee Valley Authority, from TVA. Uh, He used to be the CEO here at Ontario Power Generation before he headed back to the U.S. And I was visiting with him just last week in in Nashville at their headquarters uh, there. It's a different world uh, here in Ontario politically, for sure. And in Canada, um, it's not always harmonious, I think, was uh, the word you used, Marty. Um, You know, we do have um, jurisdiction in the provinces uh, 
uh, like Ontario, uh, when it comes to um, planning and building out energy infrastructure. Every now and then, the federal government likes to stick their nose into provincial jurisdiction, and sometimes you have to punch them in the in the nose uh, to get them out of your business. Um, but we've taken a, a much more collaborative approach here in Ontario in trying to work with our federal government, which is a liberal government, um, and you know they're trying to meet uh, certain targets when it comes to net zero by 2050 and those types of those types of targets. And really, our our conversations have been centered around: okay, if you want to hit net zero targets by 2050. There's only one possible way that you're going to be able to do that, and that's by adding nuclear uh, to our system. It's baseload power. It's there when you need it. It's there and, and able to be relied on 365 days a year or, or in, in 2024's case, 366 days a year. Um, and, and, and it's just reliable baseload power. So the, the federal government has bought in, um, and they're actually supporting the projects that we have uh, going in Ontario right now and uh, and across Canada with uh, tax incentives to match the Inflation Reduction Act south of the border. Um, our Canada Infrastructure Bank has also invested in the small modular reactor uh, project with about a billion dollars in support and, uh, and we hope we'll see future uh, installments from the Canada Infrastructure Bank as well. They're supporting our regulator, the CNSC, the Canadian Nuclear Safety Commission, and building a framework for siting SMRs so that there isn't a different framework in each province or maybe even in each jurisdiction around the world. And the CNSC has been a real leader amongst regulators internationally in in taking the lead position on, uh, on ensuring that you know, there are going to be unique circumstances in each country or each province or state where these SMRs go, but but overall the framework uh, will look the same no matter where you are, which makes the small modular reactor, and modular being the key, um, we're able to produce these SMRs en masse and send them down to TVA uh, in Knoxville or Clinch River where number two is expected to go, or Saskatchewan to help them shut off their coal-fired facilities, or in Poland where they're looking at adding potentially dozens of these SMRs to help them get off coal and have the energy security that they're looking for in the face of Russian aggression there. Minister, uh, I'd like you to get philosophical with us for a second. Um, Ever since the nuclear problems in Japan from the tidal wave, there, there was concern in the United States and a slowdown in uh, adoption of nuclear power. Um, and there's been a long-term concern in some quarters about the United States not ultimately solving the uh, waste dispo- depository issue. Um, you have a background in communications. You're, you're professionally a, a journal, radio journalist and um, know about communication challenges. How is Canada going about and obviously Canada is a complex entity. There's government, this industry. But how has Canada uh, faced the nuclear challenge? And do you think Canada has, frankly, a more sophisticated, nuanced acceptance of nuclear than the United States can muster at this time? Yeah, I, I can't speak too much about uh, the United States and, and how oh, their people oh, are. Oh, dude, <laughs> take the luxury. I, I'll, 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 I'll try. Um, you know, Canada, and, and not in every province, it varies a- across the country here too, Marty. Um, for instance, Quebec is not 
really is open-minded to exploring the idea of, of nuclear power, even though they get, um, you know, power sent to them from our province, from our nuclear facilities all the time to support them in the wintertime when they need the power. Uh, they're not too anxious about having um, new nuclear built in Quebec. Um, but in many of the other places across our country, support for nuclear is very high. Uh, we've had nuclear providing electricity here in Canada for over 50 years uh, and doing it safely, um, employing thousands of people, 76,000 people. That's working ditto the United States. I mean, that's true in the United States, but public perceptions are different, it sounds like. Or is it just Ontario that you think that that's a pocket of nuclear support? No, I, I can tell you just in, in polling that's been done in places like Alberta in the West and, and Saskatchewan out West as well, support is very, very high uh, for nuclear. And they're actually partnering with us on the small modular reactor project. Um, you know, those are jurisdictions that also realize that, you know, we need energy and this technology will help them in the oil sands, for instance, where we are producing um, gas and natural gas uh, ethically, and, and we should be sending it around the world. But that's another bone of contention with our federal government is we're not getting uh, that ethically produced uh, LNG to tidewaters so we can send it around the world to help jurisdictions that want to get off coal do it by using LNG. That's a whole other story. Uh, the, I guess what I was trying to get at is these are jurisdictions and provinces that are focused on uh, Canadian energy. And so they're supportive of this idea. And it's also going to help them with some of the technologies that are being deployed now in the SMR space, uh, be able to drive down their emissions at the refineries and at places like the oil sands. So it's, it's a really positive story uh, to tell. And the, I think the other part of it that doesn't get told enough, and it's unique uh, to our can-do reactors that we have in Canada is we're able to produce medical isotopes for nuclear medicine from our reactors. And medical isotopes are used to treat uh, various forms of cancer. Uh, cobalt-60 is one of those isotopes that's used to sterilize medical equipment. Um, and, and Canada is a leader in that. It's Russia that actually is the world's leader right now. But there's a lot of countries out there that don't want to do business with Russia at this time. So Canada is really poised to be a nuclear medicine superpower. And, um, and you know, they're looking to us for those types of isotopes now. So that's another part of the story that we like to tell here in Canada because it is unique to our Candu region. Take a minute. As a government official, I'm sure you would like to bask in the glory of your province. You're a first mover on small modular reactors. You talk excitedly about Poland, for example, that you might have something here that the world really needs to get with uh, climate change in, in a rapid order. Do you see Ontario and uh, OPG exporting this technology to the United States and around the world? Are you going to be pushing that? Yeah, and that, that's been actually part of my role over the last two and a half years. I had no idea when I took on the role as Minister of Energy, I'd be racking up the air miles like I have and, and telling the story about our leadership on small modular reactors and Canada's position as a tier one nuclear nation. Uh, we had the governor of Indiana here a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Eric Holcomb took a tour of our nuclear plant. And as I told him, as I would to anybody from the home of the Indy 500, Canada is in the pole position when it comes to small modular reactor deployment, uh, not just across North America, but around the world. And we've had interest from 
so many countries that are in the shadow of that Russian aggression uh, that are looking for energy security and energy autonomy. And they're looking to trusted allies like Canada and the United States who are working together on this SMR project uh, with the potential to deploy them to countries like Poland and Estonia and the Czech Republic and uh, Romania and many other places, not just across Eastern Europe, but um, around the world that are looking for an answer to reducing emissions, but are also looking for that type of energy security. Minister, when will these SMRs be completed and, and functioning, and when will you be able to show the world what you've done? Well, the, the site preparation work is already underway. The plan is uh, to have the design work uh, done later this year and to have shovels in the ground in 2025 and then have this SMR producing emissions-free reliable electricity on our grid by early 2029. Uh, we expect to have all of the fuel worked out and uh, ready to go and loaded into the machine by 2028 and, uh, and then producing that electricity early in 2029. For those of us who have tracked the nuclear industry for decades, that's remarkable, speedy, and efficient. Tell me who around the world is beating a path to your door to learn more. Well, countries all around the world are, are talking to us, uh, places like Australia, even though the governing party there isn't necessarily anxious to add nuclear to their mix. The opposition party sure is. And we've had numerous visits uh, from Australia. You know, I mentioned Poland is already a partner on the project and, and they're anxious. Uh, the folks in Estonia have already chosen the same technology. We believe that the United Kingdom is going to uh, choose RSMR from GE Itachi as uh, one of their chosen technologies for SMR deployment. But I had the opportunity in the fall of 22, right after the uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine and emergency European Union energy ministers were meeting in Prague in the Czech Republic in that uh, October period and had the opportunity to meet with many of them uh, that are looking for the type of energy that may come from uh, this small modular reactor in the not too distant future and how they can access um, this uh, technology that is going to be the first to be deployed in the Western world. So I often say the world is watching what's happening here in little old Ontario. And I believe that much of the world actually is uh, keeping a very close eye on the development of this technology, which will be the first in the Western world to deploy electricity from a small modular reactor. Thank you, Minister. We've been talking to Minister Todd Smith. Anytime, Marty. Happy to talk to you. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. And, uh, we really want to um, stay connected and follow the story as it develops. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, a production of the U.S. Department of Energy's Office of Electricity. We regularly convene conversations with thought leaders in the fast-changing electric sector in America and around the world. Please send us feedback or questions at gridtalk at nrel.gov. And we encourage you to give the podcast a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about this series now in its fourth year, or to subscribe, please visit smartgrid.gov. Thanks for listening to Grid Talk, presented by the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity Advanced Grid Research Division. Subscribe through your favorite podcast provider or visit smartgrid.gov for more information.